So this morning the theme is wise for salvation. What does it mean to be wise for salvation? I'd be interested to know if you have some thoughts about that. So maybe if you want to email me this week and send me a message or a messenger, Facebook, whatever works for you, I'd love to hear in your words a definition of what it means to be wise for salvation. But I think we don't have to guess. We can turn to the scriptures and find out what the Apostle Paul has to say. But I have a question before we begin. Have you ever thought about your last conversation with someone whom you really cared for? I know I have. That's the kind of conversation you want to go well. You're going to remember it for a long, long time. Paul's second letter to Timothy is in some ways his final written correspondence to his true son in the faith. Paul hadn't had the easiest path to faith. You heard about the persecutions that he endured and all the difficulties from place to place as he went proclaiming the word of God and getting pushed back resistance for what he believed to be true. Well, he had endured good intentions, bad intentions, detours, twists, turns, sprinkle in a little more persecution, being shipwrecked. He even got death sentenced and stoned to death, which he survived. He was let down through a hole in a wall, through a basket. Paul had a really interesting life. He rubbed elbows with dignitaries. He even got bitten by a highly poisonous snake on the island of Malta. And he survived. You remember that story? All the local people wanted to lift them up as deities because they said no human could endure that. It's not exactly your run-of-the-mill believer's resume. But Paul stayed with it, no matter the difficulties that he faced. Now, Paul had a legacy to consider. What kind of lessons might he want his faithful friend and fellow preacher, Timothy, to remember most? What inspiring words could he impart for those times when the sermon just wasn't coming along? What would Paul want Timothy to remember as he served and suffered for Jesus throughout the rest of his life? Well, if you are like Paul, you've had someone in your life who brought you to faith, who cultivated, watered, nurtured, pruned your faith, helped you walk a little more closely with Jesus. And for Paul, that person was Barnabas. And that name literally means the son of encouragement. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all had a Barnabas in our life? Someone who always saw the good in us no matter what, even and especially when everyone counted us down and out. I think that'd be pretty special. It was Barnabas who first encouraged Paul in his fledgling Christian faith. Paul knew what it meant to grow up in the Jewish faith and then to have an encounter with Jesus. So he had a particularly close connection with his own protege, Timothy, who underwent the same kind of life experience, being raised in the Jewish faith and then coming to meet Jesus. Just as Barnabas had encouraged and called forth the best from Paul, now Paul could do so with Timothy. So let's dive in right where we left off in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, to see how Paul encourages Timothy in his faith. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I think it's so fascinating that Paul, who knows better than anyone that works do not lead to salvation, he tells Timothy about the importance of knowing Scripture that make him wise for salvation. Paul also knows that having special knowledge doesn't save a person, as many of his letters reflect his refutation of the gospel in the face of Gnosticism, which taught that people needed access to a certain secret knowledge that was hidden from everybody. You had to dive deep and look for it in order to be saved. This was apparently a popular teaching in Paul's lifetime as Christianity began to take shape and form and spread throughout the Roman Empire. There's something worth exploring here, I think. In the Jewish wisdom literature books, which we studied earlier in our journey through the Bible, the lesson is taught time and time again that wisdom is more than intelligence. It's knowing what the right thing to do is and then doing it. That might sound simple or even trite, but how often do we know what we should be doing but really don't want to do it? I shouldn't have that brownie, but I'm going to have it anyway. I shouldn't eat those 10 cookies, but I think I really want to. Or we think about doing the right thing without really understanding why. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do, but I really don't have a deep engagement in my heart with it. That's a challenge as well. The wisdom literature, such as Proverbs, would have been familiar both to Paul and Timothy. And so Paul encouraged Timothy to look at those scriptures, to think about the fact that he had been nursed by them, grown up in the faith, and with respect to its teaching, Timothy ought to shape his life around them. You know the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation, Paul says. He didn't mean that a person's knowledge of the scriptures can save them. Rather, as they taught, he knew that salvation needed to be practiced as much as anything else. So as the wisdom literature teaches, knowing and doing the right thing, this process of salvation is being wise and knowing what God calls us to do, knowing that we're saved, and then living out that salvation. That's what it means to be wise for salvation. Not to protect it, not to keep it hidden away from everyone, but to live it out loud. Only God provides ultimate salvation. And as we learn God's ways, we can act and live in accordance with this salvation. Because God has forgiven us, we have the freedom to forgive others. Because God first loved and gave so much to us, we are free to love fully and give so much of ourselves for others. Because God brought about our deliverance and our salvation, we can be attuned to becoming instruments of God's divine deliverance and salvation in the lives of others. But that doesn't happen without grace. Think about the fact that nobody had to give Paul a chance. Think of the argument. You persecuted Christians to death. You burned those bridges. There's no going back for you. There's no grace, no second chances, no mulligans, no do-overs. Barnabas' wisdom in loving his neighbor helped Paul to understand the gift of salvation and to have access to it through Jesus Christ. And nobody had to give Timothy a second chance either. Think of what people might be saying. You're too young. You're too scared. You don't have the right credentials. Look at your family history. Paul knew enough about grace to see that Timothy needed direction to fan his gift into flame. That the faith of two strong women before him, Lois and Eunice, was sufficient to lay a solid scriptural and spiritual foundation for Timothy's faith and his ministry to come. How marvelous for both of them and for all of us to be part of a family that sees all that the world sees and yet chooses to look with the eyes of God's grace. 
yes and amen. So being wise for salvation means and begins with belief. As we're going to hear in Hebrews in just a few short weeks, it begins with believing that God exists and that God blesses those who seek him. That's the beginning of the relationship. And it moves on. Being wise for salvation grows in the midst of a community of faith. That's you all. As we come into contact with others who share our life experiences, our belief, our call, our articulate sense of faith, we're strengthened in our growing faith. It's not by itself. The third thing, being wise for salvation, comes from a foundation of knowing God's word, as Paul tells Timothy, of both comprehending and storing within ourselves. That means memorizing. When's the last time you took time to memorize some scripture? We understand the spirit of the scripture and even more deeply than the words themselves. Fourth, being wise for salvation means understanding that we are saved not by good works, but for good works. They're not the ending point. They're the beginning point of our journey with God. God has much good work for us to do in the world, and part of our being redeemed is participating in the redemptive work that God is doing all around us. And lastly, being wise for salvation means receiving God's grace as a free gift expressed in Jesus Christ. Only then, when we accept this grace unconditionally, can we allow it to change us and give us a heavenly perspective. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul gives Timothy an incredible parting gift in this second letter. Whether or not they're ever able to see each other again and be reunited in the body, in flesh, Paul is able to communicate without a shadow of a doubt the depth of his love for Timothy, his gratitude for their relationship, and even in part encouragement for Timothy's personality that's sometimes prone to fear and uncertainty. Would that we all had such a friend in Jesus, who knew our weaknesses and chose to see the best, who called forth the character that they knew lived in us by God's grace, and who could clearly convey the depth of the importance of our common and shared faith. Paul knew Timothy would need encouragement at times in his ministry, just as Barnabas saw that Paul would need encouragement and support. I wonder, which one are you? Are you a Barnabas or a Paul? Are you a Paul or a Timothy? Are you an Aquila or a Lydia? Are you an Elizabeth or a Mary? Think about all the times that God has sent someone to intercede and walk along with us. And whichever you are, I pray that you too may live wise in the knowledge of your salvation, that it will produce good works and that others can see and glorify God who is in heaven, that you may fully grasp the depths to which God loves you and delights in having a relationship with you. Perhaps if he had heard them, Timothy could relate to the words of this beloved hymn of the faith, I know whom I have believed. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I love the words that continue, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the spirit moves, convincing us of sin, revealing Jesus through God's word, creating faith in him 
I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we pray that you would make us wise for salvation, not just people who know what is right, but who constantly and continuously strive to do what is right. Thank you that you sought us out, like you did Barnabas and Paul and Timothy. Thank you that for all of our rough edges, you are refining in us something of inestimable worth. Thank you that even though we, too, Lord, are diamonds in the rough, you are with us, you love us, you care for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.